Section 5 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell, Section 5. Mr. Stevens appears from the papers in my possession to have supplied him with some anecdotes and quotations, and I observe the fair hand of Mrs. Thrale as one of his copyists of select passages. But he was principally indebted to my steady friend Mr. Isaac Reed of Staple Inn, whose extensive and accurate knowledge of English literary history I do not express with exaggeration when I say it is wonderful. Indeed, his labours have proved it to the world, and all who have the pleasure of his acquaintance can bear testimony to the frankness of his communications in private society. It is not my intention to dwell upon each of Johnson's Lives of the Poets, or attempt an analysis of their merits, which, were I able to do it, would take up too much room in this work. Yet I shall make a few observations upon some of them, and insert a few various readings. The life of Cowley he himself considered as the best of the whole, on account of the dissertation which it contains on the metaphysical poets. Dryden, whose critical abilities were equal to his poetical, had mentioned them in his excellent dedication of his juvenile, but had barely mentioned them. Footnote. Dryden, writing of satiric poetry, says, Had I time, I could enlarge on the beautiful turns of words and thoughts, which are as requisite in this as in heroic poetry itself of which satire is undoubtedly a species. With these beautiful turns I confess myself to have been unacquainted till about twenty years ago, in a conversation which I had with that noble wit of Scotland, Sir George Mackenzie, he asked me why I did not imitate in my verses the turns of Mr. Waller and Sir John Denham. This hint, thus seasonably given me, first made me sensible of my own wants, and brought me afterwards to seek for the supply of them in other English authors. I looked over the darling of my youth, the famous Cowley. End of footnote. Johnson has exhibited them at large, with such happy illustration from their writings, and in so luminous a manner, that indeed he may be allowed the full merit of novelty, and to have discovered to us, as it were, a new planet in the poetical hemisphere. Footnote. In one of his letters to Nichols, Johnson says, You have now all Cowley. I have been drawn to a great length, but Cowley or Waller never had any critical examination before. End of footnote. It is remarked by Johnson in considering the works of a poet that amendments are seldom made without some token of a rent, 
but i do not find that this is applicable to prose we shall see that though his amendments in this work are for the better there is nothing of the panis asutus the texture is uniform and indeed what had been there at first is very seldom unfit to have remained footnote purpureus late quis flendar unus et alta asuitur panus shreds of purple with broad lustre shine sewed on your poem francis horace ars poetica fifteen end of footnote various readings in the life of cowley readers note first i'll read the amended version then the original version all that may hereafter pant for solitude all future votaries of solitude to conceive and execute the pains and the pleasures of other minds to conceive and execute the agitation or perception of other minds the wide effulgence of a summer noon the wide effulgence of the blazing noon in the life of waller johnson gives a distinct and animated narrative of public affairs in that variegated period with strong yet nice touches of character and having a fair opportunity to display his political principles does it with an unqualified manly confidence and satisfies his readers how nobly he might have executed a tory history of his country so easy is his style in these lives that i do not recollect more than three uncommon or learned words one when giving an account of the approach of waller's mortal disease he says he found his legs grow tumid by using the expression his legs swelled he would have avoided this and there would have been no impropriety in its being followed by the interesting question to his physician what that swelling meant footnote i have noticed a few words which to our ears are more uncommon than at least two of the three that boswell mentions as languages divaricate the mellifluence of pope's numbers a subject flux and transitory his prose is pure without scrupulosity he received and accommodated the ladies said of one serving behind the counter the prevalence of this poem was gradual his style is sometimes concatenated boswell on the next page supplies one more instance images such as the superficies of nature readily supplies End of footnote another when he mentions that pope had emitted proposals when published or issued would have been more readily understood and a third when he calls orrery and dr delany writers both undoubtedly voracious when true honest or faithful might have been used footnote voracious is perhaps one of the four or five words which johnson added or thought that he added to the english language he gives it in his dictionary but without any authority for it 
It is, however, older than his time. End of footnote. Yet it must be owned that none of these are hard or too big words, that custom would make them seem as easy as any others, and that a language is richer and capable of more beauty of expression by having a greater variety of synonyms. His dissertation upon the unfitness of poetry for the awful subjects of our holy religion, though I do not entirely agree with him, has all the merit of originality, with uncommon force and reasoning. Various readings in the life of Waller, consented to their own nomination, consented to the insertion of their names, paying a fine of ten thousand pounds after paying a fine of ten thousand pounds congratulating charles the second on his recovered right congratulating charles the second on his coronation he that has flattery ready for all whom the vicissitudes of the world happen to exalt must be scorned as a prostituted mind he that has flattery ready for all whom the vicissitudes of the world happen to exalt must be confessed to degrade his powers. The characters by which Waller intended to distinguish his writings are sprightliness and dignity. The characters by which Waller intended to distinguish his writings are elegance, sprightliness and dignity. Blossoms to be valued only as they foretell fruits. Blossoms to be valued only as they fetch fruits. Images such as the superficies of nature readily supplies. Images such as the superficies of nature easily supplies. Some applications may be thought too remote and unconsequential. His applications are sometimes too remote and unconsequential. His images are not always distinct. His images are sometimes confused. Against his life of Milton, the hounds of Whiggism have opened in full cry. Footnote. Horace Walpole writes of Johnson's Billingsgate on Milton. A later letter shows that like so many of Johnson's critics, he had not read the life. End of footnote. But of Milton's great excellence as a poet, where shall we find such a blazon as by the hand of Johnson? I shall select only the following passage concerning Paradise Lost. Fancy can hardly forbear to conjecture with what temper Milton surveyed the silent progress of his work, and marked his reputation stealing its way in a kind of subterraneous current through fear and silence. I cannot but conceive him calm and confident, little disappointed, not at all dejected, relying on his own merit with steady consciousness, and waiting without impatience the vicissitudes of opinion and the impartiality of a future generation. Footnote. Thirty years earlier he had written of Milton as 
that poet whose works may possibly be read when every other monument of British greatness shall be obliterated. Indeed, even Dr. Towers, who may be considered as one of the warmest zealots of the Revolution Society itself, allows that Johnson has spoken in the highest terms of the abilities of that great poet and has bestowed on his principal poetical compositions the most honourable encomiums. Footnote. Earl Stanhope describes this society in 1790 as a club, till then of little note, which had a yearly festival in commemoration of the events of 1688. It had been new modelled and enlarged with a view to the transactions at Paris, but still retained its former name to imply a close connection between the principles of 1688 in England and the principles of 1789 in France. The Earl Stanhope of that day presided at the anniversary meeting on November the 4th, 1789. November the 4th was the day on which William III landed. See an essay on the life character and writings of dr samuel johnson london 1787 which is very well written making a proper allowance for the democratical bigotry of its author whom i cannot however but admire for his liberality in speaking thus of my illustrious friend he possessed extraordinary powers of understanding which were much cultivated by study and still more by meditation and reflection his memory was remarkably retentive his imagination uncommonly vigorous and his judgment keen and penetrating he had a strong sense of the importance of religion his piety was sincere and sometimes ardent and his zeal for the interests of virtue was often manifested in his conversation and in his writings the same energy which was displayed in his literary productions was exhibited also in his conversation which was various striking and instructive and perhaps no man ever equalled him for nervous and pointed repartees his dictionary his moral essays and his productions in polite literature will convey useful instruction and elegant entertainment as long as the language in which they are written shall be understood. Boswell. End of footnote. That a man who venerated the church and monarchy as Johnson did should speak with a just abhorrence of Milton as a politician, or rather as a daring foe to good polity, was surely to be expected and to those who censure him I would recommend his commentary on Milton's celebrated complaint of his situation, when by the lenity of Charles the Second, a lenity of which, as Johnson well observes, the world has had perhaps no other example, he, who had written in justification of the murder of his sovereign, was safe under an act of oblivion. Footnote Boswell paraphrases the following passage. The king, with lenity of which the world has had perhaps no other example, 
declined to be the judge or avenger of his own or his father's wrongs and promised to admit into the act of oblivion all except those whom the parliament should accept and the parliament doomed none to capital punishment but the wretches who had immediately cooperated in the murder of the king milton was certainly not one of them he had only justified what they had done End of no sooner is he safe than he finds himself in danger fallen on evil days and evil tongues and with darkness and with danger compassed round Footnote. though fallen on evil days on evil days though fallen and evil tongues in darkness and with dangers compassed round paradise last foot seven line twenty six end of footnote this darkness had his eyes been better employed had undoubtedly deserved compassion but to add the mention of danger was ungrateful and unjust he was fallen indeed on evil days the time was come in which regicides could no longer boast their wickedness but of evil tongues for milton to complain required impudence at least equal to his other powers milton whose warmest advocates must allow that he never spared any asperity of reproach or brutality of insolence i have indeed often wondered how milton an acrimonious and surly republican footnote, his political notions were those of an acrimonious and surly republican End of footnote. A man who, in his domestic relations, was so severe and arbitrary. Footnote. What we know of Milton's character in domestic relations is that he was severe and arbitrary. End of footnote. And whose head was filled with the hardest and most dismal tenets of Calvinism, should have been such a poet. Footnote his theological opinions are said to have been first calvinistical and afterwards perhaps when he began to hate the presbyterians to have tended towards arminianism he appears to have been untainted by any heretical peculiarity of opinion End of footnote. should not only have written with sublimity but with beauty and even gaiety should have exquisitely painted the sweetest sensations of which our nature is capable, imaged the delicate raptures of connubial love, nay, seemed to be animated with all the spirit of revelry. It is a proof that in the human mind the departments of judgment and imagination, perception and temper, may sometimes be divided by strong partitions, and that the light and shade in the same character may be kept so distinct as never to be blended footnote mr malone thinks it is rather a proof that he felt nothing of those cheerful sensations which he has described that on these topics it is the poet and not the man that writes boswell End of footnote. in the life of milton johnson took occasion to maintain his own and the general opinion of the excellence of rhyme over blank verse in english poetry 
Footnote. This condemnation was not universal. Of Dryden, he wrote, he made rhyming tragedies till by the prevalence of manifest propriety he seems to have grown ashamed of making them any longer his own irene is in blank verse though macaulay justly remarks of it he had not the slightest notion of what blank verse should be of thompson's seasons he says his is one of the works in which blank verse seems properly used of young's night thoughts this is one of the few poems in which blank verse could not be changed for rhyme but with disadvantage of milton himself he writes whatever be the advantages of rhyme i cannot prevail on myself to wish that milton had been a rhymer for i cannot wish his work to be other than it is yet like other heroes he is to be admired rather than imitated how much he felt the power of milton's blank verse is shown by his rambler where after stating that the noblest and most majestic pauses which our versification admits are upon the fourth and sixth syllables he adds some passages in milton which concluded this stop the sixth syllable i could never read without some strong emotions of delight or admiration if he continues the poetry of milton be examined with regard to the pauses and flow of his verses into each other it will appear that he has performed all that our language would admit Cooper was so indignant at Johnson's criticism of Milton's blank verse that he wrote, Oh, I could thresh his old jacket till I made his pension jingle in his pocket. End of footnote. And quotes this apposite illustration of it by an ingenious critic that it seems to be verse only to the eye. Footnote. One of the most natural instances of the effect of blank verse occurred to the late Earl of Hopeton. His lordship observed one of his shepherds poring in the fields upon Milton's Paradise Lost, and having asked him what book it was, the man answered, And please your lordship, this is a very odd sort of an author. He would fain rhyme, but cannot get at it. Bossel the variety of pauses so much boasted by the lovers of bank verse changes the measures of an english poet to the periods of a declaimer and there are only a few skilful and happy readers of milton who enable their audience to perceive where the lines end or begin blank verse said an ingenious critic seems to be verse only to the eye in the life of Roscommon, he says, a poem frigidly didactic, without rhyme, is so near to prose that the reader only scorns it for pretending to be verse. End of footnote. The gentleman whom he thus characterises is, as he told Mr. Seward, Mr. Locke of Norbury Park in Surrey, 
whose knowledge and taste in the fine arts is universally celebrated with whose elegance of manners the writer of the present work has felt himself much impressed and to whose virtues a common friend who has known him long and is not much addicted to flattery gives the highest testimony various readings in the life of milton i cannot find any meaning but this which even kindness and reverence can give i cannot find any meaning but this which even his most bigoted advocates can give scarcely any man ever wrote so much and praised so few perhaps no man ever wrote so much and praised so few a certain preservative from oblivion a certain rescue from oblivion let me not be censured for this digression as pedantic or paradoxical let me not be censured for this digression as contracted or paradoxical socrates rather was of opinion that what we had to learn was how to do good and avoid evil socrates rather was of opinion that what we had to learn was how to obtain and communicate happiness its elegance is less attainable its elegance who can exhibit i could with pleasure expatiate upon the masterly execution of the life of dryden which we have seen was one of johnson's literary projects at an early period and which it is remarkable that after desisting from it from a supposed scantiness of materials he should at an advanced age have exhibited so amply his defence of that great poet against the illiberal attacks upon him as if his embracing the roman catholic communion had been a time-serving measure is a piece of reasoning at once able and candid footnote it is scarcely a defence whatever it was he thus ends it it is natural to hope that a comprehensive is likewise an elevated soul and that whoever is wise is also honest i am willing to believe that dryden having employed his mind active as it was upon different studies and filled it capacious as it was with other materials came unprovided to the controversy and wanted rather skill to discover the right than virtue to maintain it but inquiries into the heart are not for man we must now leave him to his judge End of footnote. indeed dryden himself in his hind and panther has given such a picture of his mind that they who know the anxiety for repose as to the awful subject of our state beyond the grave though they may think his opinion ill-founded must think charitably of his sentiment but gracious god how well dost thou provide for erring judgments an unerring guide thy throne is darkness in the abyss of light a blaze of glory that forbids the sight o oh, teach me to believe thee thus 
concealed and search no farther than thyself revealed but her alone for my directed take whom thou hast promised never to forsake my thoughtless youth was winged with vain desires my manhood long misled by wandering fires followed false lights and when their glimpse was gone my pride struck out new sparkles of her own such was i such by nature still i am be thine the glory and be mine the shame good life be now my task my doubts are done what more could shock my faith than three in one in drawing dryden's character johnson has given though i suppose unintentionally some touches of his own thus the power that predominated in his intellectual operations was rather strong reason than quick sensibility upon all occasions that were presented he studied rather than felt and produced sentiments not such as nature enforces but meditation supplies with the simple and elemental passions as they spring separate in the mind he seems not much acquainted he is therefore with all his variety of excellence not often pathetic and had so little sensibility of the power of effusions purely natural that he did not esteem them in others it may indeed be observed that in all the numerous writings of johnson whether in prose or verse and even in his tragedy of which the subject is the distress of an unfortunate princess there is not a single passage that ever drew a tear Footnote. the deep and pathetic morality of the vanity of human wishes says sir walter scott has often extracted tears from those whose eyes wander dry over the pages of professed sentimentality croker it drew tears from johnson himself when says mrs piozzi he read his own satire in which the life of a scholar is painted he burst into a passion of tears the family and mr scott only were present who in a jocose way clapped him on the back and said what's all this my dear sir why you and i and hercules you know were all troubled with melancholy he was a very large man and made out the triumvirate with johnson and hercules comically enough the doctor was so delighted at this odd sally that he suddenly embraced him and the subject was immediately changed End of footnote. various readings in the life of dryden the reason of this general perusal addison has attempted to derive from the delight which the mind feels in the investigation of secrets the reason of this general perusal addison has attempted to find in the delight which the mind feels in the investigation of secrets his best actions are but inability of wickedness his best actions are but convenient when once he had engaged himself in disputation thoughts flowed in on either side 
when once he had engaged himself in disputation matter flowed in on either side the abyss of an unideal vacancy the abyss of an unideal emptiness these like the harlots of other men had his love though not his approbation these like many other harlots had his love though not his approbation he descends to display his knowledge with pedantic ostentation he sometimes displays his knowledge with pedantic ostentation french words which had then crept into conversation french words which were then used in conversation the life of pope was written by johnson con amore both from the early possession which that writer had taken of his mind and from the pleasure which he must have felt in forever silencing all attempts to lessen his poetical fame by demonstrating his excellence and pronouncing the following triumphant eulogium after all this it is surely superfluous to answer the question that has once been asked whether pope was a poet otherwise than by asking in return if pope be not a poet where is poetry to be found to circumscribe poetry by a definition will only show the narrowness of the definer though a definition which shall exclude pope will not easily be made let us look round upon the present time and back upon the past let us inquire to whom the voice of mankind has decreed the wreath of poetry let their productions be examined and their claims stated and the pretensions of pope will be no more disputed End of section five.